Welcome listeners in podcast and YouTube land. Coming to you live from a stinky stable at the back of a Bethlehem Inn, uh, surrounded by prickly straw uh, with tea towels on our heads, surrounded by donkey dung and asses. Um, his name's Matthew. I'm Lucas. This is the Beyond Ring podcast, where we explore faith out of bounds. That Welcome to Advent 4. Brilliant. That's your best yet. So And necessary. We needed a big intro because Christmas is almost upon us. It's la, the last la, la, week la, in Advent. La, la, la. And how about we go out with a real bang? We've gone on a journey of uh, trying to reclaim, trying to uh, just notice what we don't notice, what we fail to notice by familiarity, just from every year bumping into this same story. And we just, we can't see that the beauty that's in there, these amazing layers, this incredible wisdom, because it's just too well known to us. So we've stopped, we've paused, and we've stayed with a single character each week. Mm. Week one, we saw Herod and this immense darkness that hovers over the story. The whole sort of political reality background, the backdrop to the story. That Jesus is birthed right into the midst of and what that means. And then we looked at the Magi, these really wacky, weird, mysterious foreigners that Mm. are front and center in this story. And then we looked at Joseph, who barely gets a Guernsey in so much of our Christmas retelling, but in Matthew's telling is really significant. So that's been the kind of backdrop. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth, true, last week as well. And then this week we look at Mary. So interestingly, being the fourth week, most of our first three weeks have been spent in Matthew's gospel, with the exception of Elizabeth. Mm. Again, there's only two storytellers in our gospels of the birth narrative, and Herod's mainly in Matthew. And the Magi only in Matthew. Mm. And then Joseph really only features in Matthew. Mm. And today we come to Luke's gospel. Mm. So what we need to say is scholars suggest that Jesus died around the year 30, that this gospel, Luke's gospel, bobs up, many scholars believe, around the year 100. Mm. Some say a little bit earlier. Mm. So we're talking about a piece of literature that's 70 Years after the death of Jesus, multiple Mm. generations, communities have begun forming. The stories and teachings of Jesus are known, but there's these extra layers that are being added. And it is interesting just to to make it a really current conversation that there is a current scholarship, a debate amongst current scholarship about the exact... Uh, time of the authoring of the of the gospel according to Luke. So, um, people don't know when, where, and when you're coming from, Luke. No, that's right. Where I'm coming, I hate it when people call me Luke. It's just not my name. So I know we're doing this for the. <laughs> for the We've parallel. started with tension we'll in our podcast. <laughs> you take that back I right hate now, you. Matthew. <laughs> Even do that. Matt is, is my name. <laughs> but so so amongst current scholars, uh, a generation ago, it would have been. Um, much uh, thought much more uh, there would have been a much stronger consensus that Luke was written contemporary to Matthew yeah um, but there is a, a there is a thought emerging and it's by no means amongst all scholars but it is an emerging uh, thought that's given credence that in fact it might have come much later than that and in fact I, even after John that's, the writing of John which, which is, is which is significantly later so we're mm. talking a difference of almost two or three generations later mm. that it could have been written. So that that's an emerging reality that, mm. uh, that, that we speak into. Of course, truth is, we don't know, Let, <laughs> least uh, of all me. You don't know. <laughs> Matthew, you've you got don't even an- know what your real name is. <laughs> you've got the answer. Um, <laughs> but, it's a, it, but it does affect, or, or it, we don't really know. So it does affect how no, we read the story. No, and there's another thing that's going on, and that is that, uh, I mean, we've, we're reading this so clumsily 2,000 years later and we're missing a heap of stuff. This story has so many links to stories 
hundreds of years before it mm. in the Hebrew scriptures. So when they're hearing these names, they're, they're having bells rung around. Oh, this is like that other woman. And this is like that other birth. And this is like that other person kicking in the womb. And this is like, and so there's all these links. So yeah. that's one whole layer we miss. Yeah. And that's, this is a parallel idea that too, an idea that we explored, I think, in our Herod conversation that some of the titles and claimed political claims being given to Jesus as, you know, the son of God, as the savior of the world, as the light of the world, these aren't terms that were uniquely given to Jesus at the time. They, they were given to other political figures, particularly, figures, particularly Caesar. Figures, yeah. That's right. As the head of the empire was known as the saviour of the world explicitly. So we talked about this a little bit in, our, in, our, in the Advent 1 episode that by making these claims about Jesus, they're not just or not only a theological claim, but they're also a political counterclaim to the um, pre- prevalent um, empire. That's right. That's right. So we're missing these layers of ancient scriptural storytelling. Mm. We're also missing political dimensions. And another one of those is the fact that we're going to spend time with Mary. You may or may not have heard that the story tells the story that she's a virgin. Mm. Well, we read that and go miraculous and miracle. And it, and it is. We, we, we don't have a journalist on the scene. We don't know the facts. But what we do know is at the time, it was very, very common in ancient literature for powerful figures, for leaders to have virgin birth stories. Mm. Nero had his own. There's other characters like the Caesars of the time Mm. that had virgin birth stories. Mm. So we get lost in uh, in reading it as historical fact when the main thing we need to do is be saying, so what's significant or unique about this virgin birth story amongst all the others amongst yeah. all the others yep. how when they're putting our story up of our leader jesus how is it differing from the other accounts mm. when nero tells his virgin birth story of, of of a god or a demigod you know impregnating him and, and being the foreshadowing of his birth yep. so our ears need to be tuned to the text differently to what they historically have been yeah that's right and we again we touched on uh the question of virgin birth uh, the the development of that mythology of that story in in our in a previous episode, um, but we have to acknowledge that for the early writers of the Christian story, such as Paul, he made no reference to and is either unaware or uninterested in That's the right. story of the virgin birth. Yeah. Other gospel writers, two of the other four gospel writers, are either unaware of or uninterested in this story. And in fact, some scholars argue that John explicitly um, debunks that yeah. claim and actually makes claims against that uh, uh, that story. So mm. um, to, to say that we have to hang our hat on this and this is the only understanding of it as a, as a biological re- historical reality, that's not the point of the story. It's not the point of the story. It's ignoring it's, it's... The, the context into which it's spoken. Exactly. So let's look at it in more detail. Mm. We come to Mary, mother of Jesus, and we really need to note that last week was Joseph. And in Joseph, in Matthew's telling, which is really where we need to go if we want to see Joseph at all, we keep hearing things like Joseph, the mother and the child. I think we see it three times mm. as he hears all the dreams. He goes to Egypt. He brings them back from Egypt. He takes them to Nazareth. It's all Joseph. Mm. It's Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And yet, so, so that perhaps is the first birth narrative that's floating around. Then this second one bobs up for their communities. Mm. Mary is by far the key player. Mm. She has a song in this, this mm. lovely song. She she is just held up as the archetypal disciple. She's held up as this 
pinnacle of our faith of that which housed which allowed the birth of christ mm. so in in of course in matthew's gospel it's all about the genealogy of joseph how does joseph trek back to you know and actually luke does the same there's his genealogy so we know who joseph is mm. but the focus is mary mm. so we need to stop right from the outset and go if you're founding a movement if you're wanting to say our leader jesus our this is the messiah this is lord this is who we should follow it's a pretty bizarre story to have your key player being a woman. Yeah. If you're writing Gospels to give credence to yes. this story, yeah. is this the place that you want to start? And Mary is a, a triple strike. <laughs> She's a woman at a time when women had no voice and no place. Mm. She is young at a time when youth was not valued and children were, were, were non-persons. Mm. And and she's poor, depending on there's other there are other ways to read it, but mm. it seems that she's poor. Mm. So that's a triple strike. That mm. that is someone that has no place, no voice, no worth. Mm. And then, as we saw last week, there's this scandalous idea that she has a a child within her that is not her husband's. Mm. So if you want to start a movement, if you if you want to endorse your leader. Mm. This is not what you'd hear on the Trump campaign. <laughs> this is, to an early listener, this just makes no sense. Yeah. It yeah. really makes no sense. Well, in you know, mentioning modern politics with Trump, Trump was one of the main proponents uh, criticising Obama or demanding that Obama bring out his birth certificate to prove to us yeah, where you are born. Yeah, yeah. So even today, where you come from and the circumstances in which uh, you are born, uh, colours our acceptance of someone or our, our understanding of mm. someone's validity. And that, that, so that's a really clear example or a good example of what is going on and, or what is at risk yes. in the telling of the story yeah. in this way. Totally. There's this other fascinating thing I stumbled over when I was digging around and I've loved doing this because I've just learned so much because mm. I'm as guilty as anyone of mm. missing all these layers. Mm. And as I'm, I found this, this, uh, this word that when the gospel writers spoke about Mary that the angel visits her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how angels spoke back then. <laughs> and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, was the phrase used. Now, some of the scholarship I was reading says, well, that phrase, the overshadow, was used throughout ancient scripture as referring to the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this place in Jerusalem where God lived. Mm. So there's this temple that had the Holy of Holies and in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And there's this kind of move to saying God is no longer bound up in bricks and mortar and stone in a temple, but actually Mary becomes the new temple or the new Ark of the Covenant. Mm. There's this amazing idea that God that's always been, you had to trek for days to get to the place to get to God and yeah. to offer your sacrifices but in a manger, mm. in a woman, in mm. all the things we talked about, the donkey dung and the asses and all of that, a woman houses mm. the sacred, the divine, mm. the births, the Christ child. Yeah. We just, we miss all of that kind yeah. of power yeah. of the story. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's really the fundamental gospel claim that this separate God, this divine that is all powerful or you know all these claims or completely other than us mm. is completely other than human somehow is present within mm. and revealed in humanity in all of its um limitations in all of its woundedness and trauma and dirtiness and messiness that's that's the ultimate 
claim of the gospels. That's and it. that's so here's an example where that's really be clearly being set up. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a narr- it's a thread of the story that's being set up right from the very beginning mm. and it plays itself out all the way through exactly. the gospel. That, that it's in really ordinary, dirty, messy circumstances that the divine breaks through and breaks out and uses and and through which births a new way and mm. new possibility. Mm. So, Yeah, and did you want to say a little bit about it? just the hesitance of mansplaining this situation yeah, I for, for the two of us guys sitting here talking about the vulnerability of a young girl <laughs> and the three strikes against her name in that sense. Uh, but we have to be conscious of the way in which we always have to be conscious of the way in which uh, we read from our own cultural privilege mm. and both what it, what we then miss in the story, mm. because as we've, as this whole conversation is trying to pick out for us, uh, reveal for us, but also then what we import into the story yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it felt just necessary to say that mm. we, are, we aren't we are going to see that which we need to see. We're not going to yeah. feel and experience our way into this story in the way that we need to. To have a woman as the superhero of this story, it, for me, it's like Black Panther. Okay. You know, for the, the, the black community, for the African-American community in America to have you don't understand for the superhero of a movie to be this man. You know, even in modern times, you know, when perhaps white people are like, yeah, get over it. You know, it's done and dust. We're all equal now. Yeah, we've given you a sidekick, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's it. Exactly. And yet there was all these beautiful articles written around, you don't understand. This is saving for us. This is beautiful for us that that he is who you've chosen to be, the the superhero character. And that's what our early listeners are hearing, that Mary is the trusting, obedient, hopeful, diligent, Mm. um, favoured one is what the Gospels say. She's the superhero. She's the one we're told to be like. Mm. The men in that culture who had all the power and all the voice, they're told to be like, mm. to be Mary, to, to, you know, we just, man, that is just yeah. so missed for us. And I, in in reading and researching and preparing for these conversations, a book that I that I've been uh, that I've been casting my eye through uh, briefly is uh, Bishop Spong's book, Born of a Woman. And so, on a, was Spong born of a woman? I believe so. I think, right. yeah. So he comes with some authority. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I think he has some genetic history of, <laughs> of, of females in his family, as, a, as as I do, in fact, also. So, um, but one of the points, and this is this is to your point about um, our danger, you and I, of mm. sitting here as blokes, you know, pontificating about this story of what are we what are we missing, or what don't we have the eyes to see that we need to be aware of? And Spong talks about the dangers of of this story being likely written by a man, of being um, chosen and edited probably by the male leaders of the community uh, and down through the history of the church, overwhelmingly the decision makers in the life of the church have been men and excluding the voices of women. And so we have to be careful about what layers have been added to or have been affirmed in and what have been removed from the story or ignored from the Mm. story about the power of uh, about, about the power of the feminine mm. in in this story, mm. and so uh, we have what we need to be careful of in our conversation today. You and I is actually making sure that we're viewing uh, the person of Mary, the Mary character, as an example of discipleship, yes. or of not as an example of womanhood. Woman, yeah, that's because right. and and Spong talks about this really well, uh, or really interestingly and quite confrontingly of taking the issue of of the story of virgin birth in, in a way is man creating 
in his mind, the perfect woman, mm. who somehow is both his mother and a virgin. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of this paradox, this impossible paradox for any other woman in human history to match up to. And so is automatically saddled with this inferiority kind of idea yeah. that, that no one can match up to this woman. Uh, and yet, um, it, in a way, it's an image of womanhood, obedient and powerless and uh, you know, submissive yeah. um, to the person of God. Who, who we seem to think is male, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we need to be really careful about some of the, some of the layers that are added here Absolutely. and some of the images that are brought out of it. And if you want to, if you want to go more into that area, I do recommend reading Spong's work mm. on that. Um, but I think it's just helpful for us to acknowledge in our conversation about that, that there are yeah. problematic layers to this story. Yeah, totally. And that um, the way that the story has been handled largely by men throughout history yeah. has, has created some complications. Absolutely. Because as you said earlier, before we were in preparing for this uh, episode, I noticed too that Mary starts leaving the ground, you know, as mm. the traditions go on. So yeah. even this immaculate conception That's idea right. kicks in as a, another layer. So yeah. there's this virgin birth as first, but then right. hang on, but if Mary herself comes from a sexual encounter. Well, that's right. I used to think, when I heard the term immaculate conception, I thought that that was referring to Jesus. Yeah. But it's actually referring to it's referring Mary. to Mary. Because so the... if she was born, that means someone's had to have sex mm. with someone else mm. in order for Mary. So they had to erase that because mm. that would allow Mary to have sin, which mm. she could then not be an appropriate house mm. for the divine. Yeah. So they had to create a second layer. Yeah. And again, it's men doing this That's right. to, to clean up Mary so she'd be fit yeah. enough to house a man. That's right. And, and because of that other problematic issue of sex yeah, within the church. Right. We just don't know. The church has just handled that so, so poorly. Absolutely. And so uh, so in order to preserve the purity mm. of this of this woman, we've made her uh, paradoxically both a mother and a virgin and uh, and immaculately conceived herself. Yes. And so, as you say, I, I like that. I like the way that you phrase it, that as time goes on, her feet have got further and further from the ground. Exactly. And what we want to do in this episode is really put her feet back down mm. before these layers of the tradition evolve mm. and just look at her and what it would be like for early listeners before mm. these layers are even contemplated. That's right, because there is, there is something wonderful there for oh. us to celebrate and be inspired by. Absolutely. Yep. And, and you could only imagine for women in that time uh, who are second place citizens, mm. who are no voice, are non persons, to then have her so revered. And so Mary uses this line, um, you know, right towards the end of the gospel where she says, uh, Let it be done according to your word. You know, and there's this beautiful trusting on that's kind of echoed by Jesus at the end of the gospel in Garden of Gethsemane, where he kind of says, You know, not your will, but mine be done. There's mm. this kind of there's almost this kind of setup that Mary is is that which enables and then Jesus follows her and that we are to be Mary. Remember, this is our gospels are disciples that are just useless. You know, yeah. they miss it, they stuff it up, they're continuously letting it down. Well, Mary is as women often are in Luke's gospel. Mm. So there's lots of other really positive women in the story. Um and again, that's just so radical that we're asked to, the, the women are the ones who get it, mm. the ones that they're not supposed to even have a voice, but they're, they're the ones who are ahead of us, mm. who are doing it right, who are modeling something we need to follow in the footsteps of. Mm. For our male, for any male, let alone male leaders, let alone for our bishops and priests and, you know, to, to be told we've got to emulate mm. Mary mm. is just such a radical claim. You oh, know, I struggle to I, I struggle to get over what it would mean for an early listener. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when you take Mary, and that's that's some kind of digging around maybe historically, and there's this whole thing we could do where Mary sings this song, and mm. it's called the Magnificat, mm. and we could spend a whole episode talking about that. It's just this incredible um, piece of theology. Mm. And apparently there's one uh, Latin American government that had to ban it. Uh, yeah. That was used in the face of communist threat, yes. and and people protesting would be singing this song yeah. of Mary, and so it got banned. You know, it's got these political undertones. It's yeah. it captures social and economic and all these wonderful ideas of liberation of the the poor um, not being downtrodden but being raised up, and the arrogant and proud being lowered. And mm-hmm. it's this incredible piece that she kind of paints for us. Mm. Um, so we won't spend much time unpacking it, mm. but but that's there in the story of that's Mary. Right. And part of it is just, it's a celebratory response. It's yeah. <laughs> And it's a little bit like we talked about with, with Elizabeth last week, that her first response to this experience of, we, you know, which is so outside the social rules, mm. you know, that just place her so beyond the norm, uh, is one of joy and celebration and such inner, the, the inner strength that it takes to proclaim that and yeah. say in the face of, yeah, I'm probably going to be ostracized socially for this because yes. I'm pregnant in a way that I shouldn't be. Mm. Um, but this is fantastic. Yeah. This is magnificent. This yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. What an extraordinary response. Well, let's take that on. Let, let's, uh, let's try and imagine what Mary offers us today by virtue of an invitation, that if we're to, to carry the radicalness of this text and what it's suggesting, mm. what do we see? And for me... When I think about the invitation of Mary today, it's it's as you're saying that that Mary is held up as the model disciple, as the actual archetype or epitome of how faith should look. Mm-hmm. Mary has this. Um, not only does it affirm that which has always been true in Scripture that that is that that God brings life from death and fruitfulness in Mm. barren places. And Mm. uh, not only does it affirm that, it also, Mary as a, as a, as a disciple models all this beautiful stuff that we just, you know, can't help, but, but, but want to emulate. And that is, she has this uh, not defensive, but trusting posture. She's fully disarmed. Mm. She's just this picture that is fully open and trusting and teachable. She's able to move beyond her comfort zone. You know, she, she's vulnerable. You kind of can't help but wonder if that was the model of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, yeah. what our churches and our communities would look like, yeah. you know, of this. Yeah. So, that, so that's the whole piece that she's held up as this, this archetype and model. But the other picture for me that emerges when I think about a woman in that context so she receives this kind of intuition and this message that she's actually going to um, be part of a new way that's going to emerge. She's trusting and believing that whilst the boot of oppression is still on her neck. Mm. She's still looking around and seeing the slave labor of Herod left, right and center. She's still seeing Rome and all, and the soldiers that walk through the streets. She's still... Uh, in that world, they're still an oppressed and mm. squashed people. Mm. She's not yet had Jesus, mm. and yet she's singing these songs of, I believe what is emerging is that the poor will be held up, mm. that there'll be this leveling, there'll be this equality, that there'll be this celebration of diversity, that 
You know, Mary is that which sees and hopes and believes a way that is not even yet forming, but she trusts that it is emerging. Yeah. And Mary is also the picture of someone that follows that reality, that chases that reality, that, that lives into the reality that she hasn't yet seen. So we've, we can all think of times in which we can see something good emerging and we jump on the bandwagon of it. It's, it's easy yeah. to be celebratory and, and loving and compassionate and to fight for justice when it's all happening and yeah. there's lots of advocates with us and yeah. there seems to be a tide going with us as well. But Mary is that which stands against the tide, mm. gently, humbly, openly, not taking the sword to the sword, not fighting fire with fire, but actually just trusting that a new way of love and peace is breaking through. Mm -hmm. I just love that about this 12 or 13-year-old girl amidst a scandal with no voice, with no power, with no worth, who somehow finds a spine and somehow finds a hope that something new could yet be birthed despite all the trauma that surrounds her. So that's Mary for me. Mm. And it's, an, and it's an incredible, incredible story. Mm. That's phenomenal. What's for, yeah? What's Mary for you? Well, for me, this part of the story is uh, is about holding spaces. So we've titled this episode "The Wombs and Mangers," mm. and they're holding spaces. The, the the womb is where the gestation gestation of the baby occurs, and the manger is that which holds this vulnerable and newborn infant child. It, as, as told in story. Also, uh, as we read, there's also the Egypt experience, which in a way is this, yeah. this holding place for the family. They escape. Of refuge. Of refuge. Mm -hmm. They escape Herod and, uh, and, and his armies, which are, which, which are um, seeking to kill them. And they escape for this, to this holding place, this place of refuge. So this idea of, of holding spaces is, um, is, a, is a recurring theme for me and reminds me that uh, every Every season that we go through in life is a womb for that which is yet to come. Mm. So every season contains the gestating seeds of what is yet to come. During winter, the autumn seeds are preparing to arise in the spring. Mm. They're waiting quietly for the spring. So the, the season that you are experiencing right now is a womb in which you're being formed and shaped and stretched and grown towards the person that you will be in the coming season. So mm. I know I am the person today as a result of mm. challenges and traumas that, that I've experienced as, as well as uh, encouragement and affirmation mm. al along the journey. But um, I am the person I am today mm. because of the seasons, the wombs, which mm. were wombs for me at mm. those times that I've experienced. Um, you'll, you'll be aware that for my wife and I, Christmas every year is, is a reminder of unbearable trauma and, and heartache. And so I do want to acknowledge for our listeners that for many of us, this season is not all joyful. Yeah. And even if we want to be upbeat and celebrate, it's a mixed blessing. Yeah. So I know, uh, but I know that life's seasons move on. And just as we look back now and see how we were formed by experiences of the past, we will one day look back at this yeah. time and know that this was a day, this was a season that helped shape us too. So I want to I want to say to our listeners that whatever season that you're in right now, whether it be challenge, whether it be despair, whether it be grief, whether it be celebration, whether it be joy, know that this is a time of gestation of what is yet to come. Mm. And I was reminded partly of this by a film that I watched recently, uh, The Darkest Hour, which is the story of 
uh, a couple of um, Sean Marsh's last ten innings. Yeah. <laughs> that was a month, the darkest year. Right. Yeah. Right. The twilight of his career. Mm, cricketing reference for all our overseas <laughs> listeners. Uh, so the darkest hours. It's a film about Winston Churchill in the early, early days, the very beginning of World War Two, and he gave some of his most famous speeches. We shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them in the air on the landing ground. <laughs> you know, and this wonderful just. Yeah, it, it was said he mobilised the English language and deployed it into battle. Wow. So he's just an incredible <laughs> speechwriter. Um, but see, many of us, but many of us think of Winston Churchill as this dynamic leader during wartime, a widely acclaimed success. Mm. But and as the film shows, in truth, he was widely considered a failure for the majority of his public life. Right. It just so happened that he pulled it out of the fire and he pulled it, it together, together <laughs> during the time it was needed most. So, because he was in public life for decades, like in, back into right. World War One, he was in public life and right. was part of the government and so on. And it was failure after failure. He was known as a drunk. He was known as he was belligerent. He was argumentative. He he was he was out of control. And really, he had no right to be successful. And yet, uh, um, during, through a sort of a series of political um, manoeuvres and so on, uh, he be he became uh, the prime minister. So the title of the film, The Darkest Hour, is not just about um, the the time facing Britain at the beginning of World War Two. Um, but it also refers to the culmination of failure and self-doubt that racked Churchill as he right. took on what seemed to be a hopeless task. And there's this beautiful scene in the film in which his wife, Clementine, comes alongside him and reminds him that all of his experiences so far, all of those fa decades of failures, of setbacks, of embarrassments, all of that included, have in fact shaped him for this day. They've all been the lessons uh, which have prepared him for this day and she says to him you are strong because you are imperfect you are wise because you have doubts mm. Mm. so his life to this point has been those series of seasons through which the seeds have gestated for him to become the leader that was needed at, at that time mm. and so that's what i reflect on in this in this that's mary great. story that uh, that that here is uh, this woman who's entering into this frightening, terrifying season, but with faith and hope for what is to come, yeah. and and is somehow able to proclaim this celebratory song. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but in the knowledge that that there begins now, or there is amidst this yes. experience now, the gestating seeds of yeah. a, of a future which can be better. Yeah, I remember someone once said to me in a, a time when which I was struggling, just that nothing's wasted. Mm. You know, there's this sense that that all things are being used or can be used mm. for this greater birth. Mm. So it doesn't mean we're taught by God through bad experiences mm. and that God knocks us down a couple of pegs if we need to be taught something. Yeah. But more when something confronts us or happens or when trauma, tragedy hits, even that can be seeds for new life and growth that we'd never wish upon anyone. Mm. And yet can somehow something more beautiful can be birthed, yeah. some greater understanding, greater compassion, greater empathy, greater knowledge. Uh, we become a greater gift. Something better is birthed in us because of the seeds that mm. if we're fertile ground, mm. you know, if we, you know, can live in the direction of knowing that this can be used for a, for a new birth, mm. then 
Yeah, it's a lovely invitation. And, and I find it really, I find it really helpful personally to view life seasonally. Like yeah, that, that, yeah. That this is a season that I'm weathering at the moment. Yes, yes. and it might it might feel like a winter. Um, but there will be a spring to come, and it's, I don't mean that in a flippant kind of no, you know, the sunshine's no. just around the corner. But um, but I also rec- it also helps me to realise that during the summer seasons to know that yeah. life's not always going to be like this, and yeah. this is a joy, and this so is let's wonderful. Dance. Let's let's yeah. dance while the sun is out. But, yeah. Um, whereas I think if you if you had a more linear, episodic kind mm. of view of life, then that you might feel a sense of why, why am I being knocked on the head? God, why are you, mm. you know, why are you closing these doors in my face? Mm. Well, I'm not sure that that's quite the way that it works. No. And, and the, a quote that the film Darkest Hour finishes with that I think speaks to this, success is not final, failure is not fatal, and it's the courage to continue that counts. Mm. And so here perhaps in this story of this amazing young girl, Mary, uh, is someone who had the courage to continue. Yeah. I love to, I saw a movie once and I've never yet tracked it back, but it was the story of Jesus. You know, it was on at some Easter time, but it had, um, it had all these young years that of course there's this huge gap in our mm. scripture. So we're left to imagine. Mm. And it had him watching some bullying in kind of the, you know, quote the schoolyard. Okay. And he kind of, when I don't want to throw a rock at the kid who's just thrown a rock at me. And mm. and he did that after he was going to bed and Mary told him the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay. And it was this yep. beautiful picture of just um, that which was a manger to Jesus, not yep. just on birthday, yep. but of actually a both a Mary and a Joseph that must have offered him mm. a place in which to establish wisdom mm. and to grow and to learn and to the things that we see in the Magnificat that Mary believes and sees in the world Mm. and the way I see Jesus, I need to believe that Mary and Joseph offered that to Jesus, that he was able to learn Mm. this way that was emerging to trust that nothing is wasted, that God is in some ways bringing about a new birth Mm. through us, that, that Emmanuel God is with us. And in this, even in trauma and death, um, that for me was that movie I've never forgotten. Mm. And I love the idea that Mary wasn't just the lucky one who won the Russian roulette and got yep. to be the mother and yeah, good one. You yep. got, you get to be on the posters now, but actually she by nature of who she was and what she cultivated and allowed in her family mm. was what actually birthed this new way. Yeah. You know, I, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful image. Continuing to hold that, continuing to offer that holding space. That's it. Maybe, you know, the gestation period is finished and we're free of the literal womb, but parents continue to offer us the growing spaces. That's it. They're the manger, you know. And so who are the mangers for us? Who are, who are those who mm. are, are safe refuges? Mm. Who are the Egypts? Who are, the, mm. uh, who are those who trust our intuition and trust our self-knowledge and trust our um, belief in ourselves, but need to offer the space for us to hear our own wisdom. Mm. You know, who are, who are those who just by nature of their ongoing support and affirmation allow us to find within us the wisdom and courage to do that, which we believe God's calling us to do. Yes. And of course, if you're able to listen to this podcast, then you have the capacity to choose. You can choose holding spaces yeah. and wombs, which will offer you those things. Um, you have the ability to critique how are you being formed and shaped by mm. that which currently holds you, by mm. those relationships which surround you, um, and how might you seek life-giving ones? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. So a friend of mine, by way of closing, a friend of mine uh, 
in fact, has a website called Hold This Space, oh, which cool. is a beautiful, beautiful link there. Mm. Uh, Cheryl Laurie is her name, and she wrote a Christmas prayer a couple of years ago, and I want to share it as a uh, as a concluding, as a blessing for our listeners. Uh, and and really, it's it, it is the conclusion of this Advent series for us. So we'll move on into other projects, but thank you for coming along this journey with us. Mm. And so we'll leave you with this. Instead of searching for belief in a virgin birth or in the God who comes as human, I hope this year only for the faith to live as if the darkest parts of my life and world are the manger into which love has been born again. Merry Christmas. So, thanks for coming beyond ring and for travelling with us through this season that is Advent. And as we close out 2018, we just want to say thank you so much for sharing the journey with us. To keep up with us and with our movements and our projects for next year, make sure you subscribe to our website's mailing list at beyondring.com.au and, and like us on Facebook and now you can see us on YouTube as well. But now we leave you with a beautiful song. It's another by Alana Lewandowski, who you can visit through YouTube and also through alanalewandowski.com. So this is a song that that captures so beautifully our thoughts and our hopes for Christmas. It's titled, We Are Bethlehem. And it echoes the claims of the Gospels and Christmas that the God is somehow present in in this mystery that is life. And it leaves us with the invitation that just as Mary's yes enabled Christ to be born, may we allow light and love and peace and justice to be birthed in us. May it be so this Christmas and every day beyond. Setting up
lives free Just like Jesus said would be Christ is born through you and me is born in you and me. 